Great guys. Well, good morning. Um, and today we are busy uh, closing our mark series, which I think, um, I mean, time since COVID started is, is, is a blur. So it's either it's either a year, a year and a half or two years that we've been doing mark. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but it, it's, it's been a, a, a long journey. Um, and I think in God's kindness and his sovereignty, we're looking at the passage that we are looking at today um, in, in kind of light of the recent events of our country and just the world and in our community. Um, and that's because this passage that we're looking at, whilst it, it might be quite strange and, and, you know, and, and weird on a superficial reading, it reminds us of our eternal hope as Christ followers. Uh, and just as um, I've been preparing this for a few weeks. And so just as, you know, the events unfolded around us, I found myself thinking about this passage a lot and kind of thinking about these truths a lot. Um, and even just uh, Polly had the vaccine a couple of weeks ago because she's in the sort of education sector. And um, and she had a, a slight medical issue where there was potentially a, a, a blood clot. It wasn't actually anything too serious, but she was in the hospital getting tested for like five hours. And I found myself thinking about this passage and saying, sure, Lord, if, if you're using this to teach me about this passage, it's quite a hectic lesson. I'll, I'll, I'll learn it. I'll learn it quick. Um, but uh, but it did it did bring hope uh, throughout all of these events. And I hope that and pray that for us, it does. And for you, it does the same. So um, what we're going to see today is that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so too will we all be raised from the dead in the future. And just as we enjoy our physical bodies uh, today, we will also enjoy heavenly uh, physical bodies in, in the resurrection too. Um, but not everything of life that we experience and enjoy today will be the same. Not all of our relationships, the way we interact with each other will be the same. And thankfully, not the pains and the aches and the sufferings and the heartaches we experience will be the same uh, in that day too. So that's kind of the, the, the big picture of what we're going to be looking at. And so let's read Mark 12 uh, verses 18 to 27. It says this, then some Sadducees who say there, there is no resurrection came to him and they asked him saying, teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and dying, he left no offspring. And the second took her and he died, nor did he leave any offspring. And the third likewise. So the seven had her and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. So, uh, as I said, you know, on superficial reading, you could be going like, when I first read this, I thought, oh, wow, <laughs> how am I going to preach a passage on this? This is very like intricate about the, the Mo, uh, Levitical laws of, of marriage and, and, and wives and that sort of thing. But um, this is the second time that Jesus is being confronted uh, and opposed by people in Jerusalem. Last week, we saw how the Pharisees came to him and they tried to kind of trap him by asking, what should they do with money? Should they give it to Caesar or should they give it to God? And kind of wanted to see how Jesus would answer and, and trap him uh, into saying the wrong thing so that they could, you know, either hand him over to the Romans or crucify him. Now, today, we see that another group uh, of people have come to Jesus with a similar intent. They want to trap him out and, and catch him out. The Sadducees are a little bit different to the Pharisees. 
um, they were very well educated. Uh, they were like a sect of, of Judaism. They were very well educated, very sophisticated and very influential. They kind of were close to the, the Romans. And so that's, they kind of got a lot of their power from that relationship. Um, and so they weren't very liked in many ways. Um, they were also a, a sect of Jews that only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. Um, otherwise known as the Torah. So no Psalms, no Isaiah, no Daniel, um, uh, or any of the other, other prophets. Um, they also didn't believe, and this is quite crucial, they didn't believe in any human resurrection. Uh, they didn't believe that, you know, once, you know, ultimately one day everyone will be raised from the dead. And they didn't believe in any spirit world for that matter too. No angels, uh, no demons, that kind of thing. It was a very sort of logical uh, approach to, to life and, and their worldview. And so they come to Jesus with a preposterous question. And what they do here is they, they refer to a Mosaic law from Deuteronomy 25, which said that if a, uh, if a man was to die, uh, a man of Israel was to die, and he has no children with his wife, his brother is then to take the wife and bear a child uh, with her so that the man's inheritance and importantly, his land and his possessions and his name can continue uh, with, without having children, obviously any land that he's amassed and kind of obviously land is a big signifier of wealth and sort of longevity that would, that would disappear from that man's family. And so it was a way of kind of protecting uh, the, the families, if you will, and kind of keep them on ongoing. Now you can imagine the degree of speculations brothers must have had when they brought home potential wives uh, because obviously the stakes were, were very high you know it's like oh gosh bro please I'm gonna like put 24-hour security around you if, you if you have to marry her but uh but nowadays obviously we, we don't have to worry about that thankfully but the Sadducees the Sadducees go to Jesus and they use this law to try and disprove um, the resurrection and you can kind of see they, they're taking it to the nth degree it's almost like a, a childish riddle you know that that kids like to to use on the playground you know um they try and catch them out by saying that if this happens seven times you know what's going to happen because she would have been the wife of all of these brothers and they, none of them had children whose wife is she going to be you know and they, they're really trying to see like just does jesus say well you know he's he's the first one or he's kind of all of theirs or she's all of theirs or that kind of thing and they, they really kind of uh, catch him out with this and so jesus uh, let's carry on uh, reading so jesus said to them is this not the reason uh, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of god for when they rise from the dead they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. So we're going to see how Jesus responds to them in two ways. He first corrects their misunderstandings of marriage and what marriage is. And then he corrects their misunderstanding of the resurrection uh, and what life in that uh, sort of space will be like. And by doing this, Jesus is reinforcing his authority over both the scriptures and over life all of itself. He's, 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 he's kind of uh, pointing to himself here as, as having the final authority over the scriptures and over uh, life itself. And the first thing Jesus does is corrects their misunderstandings of marriage. He points out that marriage is not something that will last forever. He says, for when the dead, for when they rise from the dead, they 
neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. See, when we uh, are raised uh, in the new heavens and in the new earth, as the Bible teaches, we don't just live our lives again in the kind of the exact same way and we relate to each other in the exact same way we will relate to each other in an altogether new way and that means that marriage is not something that will exist uh, in 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 heaven if you will and you may ask why why is that why is marriage if it's such a good thing why is it not going to exist and kind of what does that mean are we all just going to be kind of single uh, perpetually well Marriage on earth is a, is a temporary institution that points to a permanent reality. Our marriages are designed and intended to be a picture of Jesus, who is the eternal groom, and the church, who is the eternal bride, coming together in perfect uni, uh, union. And so our marriages here on earth are meant to reflect that relationship and, and, and point to that relationship. Uh, in the same way that Christ lays down his life for his bride uh, in a very literal sense, and he is committed to our holiness and our sanctification uh, and, and helping us to become more like him. So we as spouses are to lay our lives down for one another. Uh, and so are we to be committed to the holiness and the sanctification of uh, the other person in our relationship. It's not just a, a marriage of convenience or of happiness um, or, you know, uh, whatever, whatever it may be. Uh, there's a, a greater picture here that we are committed to each other's holiness and, uh, and sanctification. We are to be self-sacrificial, laying our lives down for uh, one another. And so marriage, therefore, is not an eternal state. Um, it's not that once you get married or if you are married or if you die married, you are kind of uh, eternally married to that person. Likewise, singleness uh, also isn't an eternal state because we are not going to just kind of go revert back to being single uh, in, in heaven. And so as a people and as a church, as, as um, a common ground sea point, we shouldn't fall into the trap of, of taking marriage uh or thinking of marriage too highly, which is quite a strange thing to say, you know, as a, as a church. So often we are saying the world doesn't take marriage seriously enough. And here, you know, I'm saying we shouldn't take marriage uh, too seriously or think of it too highly. Um, but that means, what, what, what I mean by that is that uh, don't make marriage into something more than it's intended to be. It's not a permanent identity. It's not something that God's looking at the world and he's looking at the marrieds and the unmarrieds. Uh, marriage is not meant to be ultimate perfection. It's not uh, the goal of marriage isn't that you kind of find a, a way of relating to each other where it's just eternally bliss and you just are teaming so well together. You're loving each other perfectly. Obviously, we do want to do those things, but uh, that's not the goal of marriage. Um, it's not meant to be pure heaven without any pain. What marriage is, is hopefully it's a, a 30, 40, 50, 60 year journey of sanctification and so that means it's going to hurt at times it's going to be it's going to be there's going to be friction uh it's obviously how we deal with that friction and how we relate to each other in that friction are we pointing each other to ourselves and our own needs or are we pointing each other to christ and saying god uh this uh, you've highlighted some areas in my life that need to change help me to to, to change and uh, and my spouse <laughs> um you've placed them in my life to to point those out um, and so marriage is, is for our holiness and uh, pointing us to that ultimate reality of being uh, with Christ perfectly. And so as a church, we, we are not a family church. We are not a, a church 
uh, just for families. We are not a church for the singles. We don't have a, a PM meeting for the singles and then an AM meeting for the, uh, the marrieds and the, and, and the families. We are a church of image bearers um, who are pointing people to their ultimate uh, destination of being with Christ in perfect union one day in the future. Um, uh, I listened to a, a talk from Dr. Russell Moore, um, who uh, is, um, I don't want to say he's a pastor, but he is kind of, he's, he's a, a theological teacher in the States. And he was saying, when we see that all of our blessings in life, our, our marriages, our, our children, our callings, our ministries, all those good things, uh, when we see that they're all about preparing us for a future that God has for us, that is far beyond what we can even imagine. Then once we see that, it gives us the freedom to say that because my marriage does not have to be idealized or doesn't have to be perfect all the time, I can pour myself out. I can pour myself out in sacrificial love and I can keep my marriage vows and keep loving you to my spouse. Uh, when we see that our marriages uh, are all about preparing for us for a future that God has for us beyond what we can imagine, it gives us the freedom to say that I can keep pouring myself out for you in self-sacrificial love and I can keep my marriage vows to you. We don't give up on our marriage vows because you know, we fall in and out of love or it gets hard or it gets inconvenient. Uh, we, we, it is those, it's in those moments that we can keep our marriage vows because we're saying this is preparing us for something far greater than we can even imagine. And so if you are here today and you are married, uh, the call to you is take your marriage seriously. It's a picture of something magnificent. It's not just a, a contract of convenience. Uh, look at it through those eyes. Look at it through the lens of what God wants to do in your life and in your heart and in your marriage uh, by him. God desires for your marriage to flourish and for you to lay your lives down for each other and to see each other being sanctified. Marriage is a good thing. And if you're here and you are not married, do not make marriage more than it is in your heart and in your mind. Your ultimate identity is not whether you are married or whether you are single. Don't fall into the trap of looking to marriage to give you what only God himself is able to. So that's kind of the first uh, correction that Jesus gives to the, uh, to the Sadducees. He says that marriage is not an eternal thing. Um, but then he kind of goes on to unpack a little bit uh, about the resurrection. So he reframes the understanding of the resurrection or the lack of understanding in this case. And he anchors his correction in the fact that the Sadducees, who claim to know the scriptures, who claim to know God, don't actually know what the scriptures say, or they don't even understand uh, the power of God himself. They, do, they, do, they don't even know the scriptures that they are themselves quoting. You see, the Old Testament is full of references to a resurrection. There's, uh, it speaks about it in Psalms, in Isaiah, in Daniel, um, all specifically uh, speak about uh, a resurrection. But uh, Jesus doesn't use them, uh, these passages to correct them. Instead, he goes to Exodus, a book that the Sadducees acknowledge and, uh, and, and claim to know to, to prove his point. In Exodus 3, uh, God met Moses in the burning bush, something I'm sure you know, most of us are familiar with that story. Um, and when he, when he reveals himself to Moses at the burning bush, he uses some specific wording uh, to reveal himself. It's the first time that he would have revealed himself to Moses. And he, the way he revealed himself to Moses is that he says that he is the God of Abraham. He is the God of Isaac and he is the God of Jacob. And he said, he uses the present tense. He says, I am 
I'm the God of these three individuals. Um, and God says that because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, though they've been literally dead or, or physically dead for centuries, are very much alive with God in a sense. And so he doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham, your forefather. I was the God of Jacob, or I was the God of um, Isaac. He says, I am the God of these three patriarchs. And Jesus uses the same scriptures that these Sadducees you know, uh, purported to know to show them that they actually didn't know it as well as they thought they did. Not only did they not know the scriptures, but they didn't know the power of God himself. They didn't know what God was capable of doing. In their minds, they had limited God's capacity to raise people from the dead. They kind of uh, excluded a whole uh, range of um, you know, spiritual world and what God is capable of from their understanding. And the warning to us as Christ followers today in 21st century Cape Town is the same. Do we know the scriptures we say we believe? Uh, do we really uh, let them guide and shape our beliefs and our faith and our worldview? Or are we using them to support our own worldviews when it's convenient or uh, rejecting the things that we, we don't like? Are we using the Bible to say what we wanted to? You know, the Bible is, is, has been used in such evil ways to, to say uh, such evil things because you can take something out of context and latch on to it. Uh, are, we, are we doing that in our own lives and in certain areas to uh, allow us to do things uh, that we want? Or are we allowing it to tell us who God really is? And are we aligning our lives to that? And as culture changes and as things progress or regress, depending, you know, which way they're going, uh, many ways regressing, um, you know, the Bible is going to become increasingly less popular and increasingly hostile to the culture around it. And we're going to we're finding ourselves in a, in, a, in a place of do we align ourselves to, to culture's uh, stance on things or do we align ourselves to the Bible's stance on things or are we reframing scriptures to kind of allow us to, you know, straddle both sides. Um, so if, you know, if Jesus makes it clear that the resurrection is real, it's worth unpacking for us, I think, what that means and what that looks like. Um, for many of us, the resurrection of Jesus, you know, is one thing to understand. We, we proclaim it. We understand it. Um, but I think, you know, deep down, we kind of go, maybe it was a once off. Um, it was special for Jesus. And then kind of when it's the Bible speaks about us getting resurrected, it kind of gets a bit murky and we get a bit unsure. But the New Testament itself actually speaks quite a lot about ourselves being resurrected and specifically in 1 Corinthians 15. So for the rest of uh, this, this talk, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15 a little bit and unpacking it as well. So 1 Corinthians 15, I think verse 16 uh, says this. Uh, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. So the firstly, we see that the resurrection of the saints, of you and me, of Christ followers, is central to our faith. It's not something that you kind of often think about, right? But it is so central. Christ was raised from the dead so that we too could be raised with him. We could not achieve or secure this resurrection for ourselves. We can't even properly kind of fathom it or imagine it clearly, let alone secure it for ourselves. We needed Jesus to be raised from the dead. And when he died and rose again, he was the prototype, the first fruits uh, of what is to come and what is to follow. He is the proof uh, that it is real. And so if you believe in Christ's resurrection, you can and should believe in your own resurrection. 
Uh, it, it is good news. So now you may ask, okay, so we're going to get raised from the dead one day. What does that look like? Um, well, Paul in verse 35 answers that specifically. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body uh, will, will they come? Um, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. And what we see here is that we are given actual bodies. One day in the future, we are uh, given actual bodies. We will not just be flowing spirits in the clouds, kind of lounging about, kind of as heaven has been depicted. We will have these things called heavenly bodies that get to enjoy the new creation. We'll be able to enjoy colors, tastes, smells, etc. Uh, we will be who we are uh, today in, in, in many senses. We're not just kind of, you know, our souls don't go off and we kind of leave our bodies behind. Neither do our bodies go off and we kind of leave our souls behind. Um, we are who we are. Uh, going, we will be who we are today again uh, in our heavenly bodies. And a spiritual body doesn't mean non-physical. Uh, it just means a new kind of body that is made for that creation. Just as our bodies now are made for this creation, our spiritual bodies will be made for that creation. Uh, Jesus even says in, in, in the passage, you know, in Mark that we've looked at today, that uh, we will be like angels in heaven. Now, if we're honest, um, I think we can tend to have too low a view of heaven, right? We kind of think, sure, you know, yeah, we're going to be in heaven one day forever, but kind of how cultures played it out or I think about it, you know, I don't really know if I want to be there, you know, for much longer than a few weeks. Um, we kind of think of it as a, as this ethereal place, you know, maybe it's super bright because there's just gold streets everywhere. And it kind of looks like a, a Donald Trump's penthouse, you know, and you're like, Oh gosh, gold everywhere. No, thanks. Um, or you kind of think it's like an eternal worship service and you think like, sure, you know, I can, you know, handle six or eight songs, but if it's going to be, we're going to be praising God all day, all night, maybe, you know, this is, you know, it's not going to be great. And honestly, you know, we think we worry and I've worried, you know, in the past that heaven's actually going to be a bit boring. What are we going to do? Um, you know, and the Bible speaks about creation as we know it now being set free from its bondage uh, to decay. And so just as we enjoy creation now, we will be able to enjoy the new creation. Uh, what that looks like, you know, it, it's hard to, hard to describe and, and, and nail down, but there will be things for us to do and enjoy in the, in the same way that we relate and they, we will relate uh, to one another and to God in a whole new experience. And Paul goes on to uh, unpack it a bit more in verses 42. He says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead? The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Um, a few months ago, I think in March, my, my grandmother actually passed away. She was about 98 or 99, I think. Um, and in her last few weeks, she was incredibly frail and incredibly weak. Um, and, you know, it was the first time actually in my life that I'd come face to face with, with someone who was dying and someone who was literally on their deathbed. And, you know, I, I can say from firsthand experience, death is a very dishonorable process. There is no glory. There is no grace in it. Um, 
but the good news of the gospel of Jesus and the good news that I could kind of hold in my heart as, as I held her hand and as she was, you know, super weak, couldn't even really speak clearly, is that what is sown in dishonor, as her body was sown in dishonor, it will be raised in glory. What is sown in weakness and in frailty uh, will be raised in power and in glory one day. And that is incredibly uh, reassuring to know. We will be given a body that doesn't decay, but one that can last for eternity. And what this means is that all the sufferings we experience in these bodies will be over. Aging will not be a thing to, to worry about. The pains, the frailties, the sicknesses, the sufferings will be gone. And what's more, we'll enjoy those bodies for a lot longer than we enjoy these bodies for. And so kind of as we kind of come to, to a close, what does this mean for us as Christ followers today? What, what does all this future talk mean for us in our, in our present reality? Well, I think, you know, the, the first thing is that as Christ followers and as a community, we need to live with this eternal perspective. We need to kind of not be like ostriches. We need to get our heads out of the ground a little bit and kind of lift our sights a little bit. Uh, we need to have this eternal worldview as we go about our lives and as we respond to the world around us and as uh, and we allow it to inform our emotions and the way we feel about things. And when we when we do this, when we live with this perspective, we become a people of hope. We become like that that yeast in a in a, in a bread that, that causes it to to rise. It just needs a, a little bit, but it causes the whole bread to rise. When we live with hope, we are that yeast in the world around us. We live with a hope that cannot be shaken, it cannot be taken, and it cannot be stolen from us. Um, Polly and myself and our family are in the process of moving house. We've, we've officially sold our, our two-bed house here in Woodstock, and we've bought a, a slightly bigger house with a, with a garden and parking uh, in the suburbs. Um, and in our and we're kind of waiting for the transfer process to happen. But in our minds, we are already living there, right? Like every day we are thinking about that house. We think about the garden and how Ellie can run around with the, with the dog. Uh, we're thinking about just the, the space, you know, the storage space we're going to have. So right now I've just got things just cluttered around me and kind of have to like Tetris your way through the, the floor just to get anywhere. Um, and we're just imagining uh, what it's going to be like to, to live there. Um, thinking about you know hosting people as well finally and just knowing that it's coming knowing that that we're going to be there uh, means that we can live with the frustrations and the irritations of our of our current situation when you know our window wipe windscreen wipers get stolen from outside we're like okay yes that's irritating but it's not going to be like that one day we'll have a garage we'll park our car behind a closed door our insurance premium will come down these are good things to look forward to to. Um, but we know that this reality is not going to last. We know that something better is coming and that we are going to enjoy that space for a lot longer than we are going to be in this space for. And uh, that is what happens when we get this truth of the resurrection into uh, our hearts. We live with a view of what is to come. And that means that the failings and the frustrations and the sufferings and the heartaches of this body, of this life, of this age, they don't have to be all consuming. We live with one eye on the future that has been secured for us. And we can say, even though this life may not be perfect, I know that God's promises will all be fulfilled and they will all be enjoyed one day. Even though God may not heal uh, me uh, perfectly in this life to come, I know that one day I will be healed perfectly in the age to come. And what this means for us is also that 
the 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 work that we do for god is not in vain it's not just like oh well you know what what is the point of it all uh, our work for god matters uh, later on in that passage in verse 58 paul says therefore my dear brothers and sisters stand firm let nothing move you always give yourselves fully to the work of the lord because you know that your labor in the lord is not in vain and so as christ followers friends we are laying up treasures in heaven that are eternal as much as it's rewarding to chase rewards and treasures here in this life, uh, there are treasures that will last for a lot longer that we should be laying up for ourselves. Um, we do that by loving God, by seeking his kingdom and loving those around us. The, the answer to these things, you know, often when we hear these things about, you know, laying up things that are going to, you know, never rot or, or that are eternal, you, I can, you know, kind of think, oh man, should I, should I not invest in the stock market? Should I not enjoy a, a bigger house? Or should I not enjoy these material things that I'm kind of, you know, pursuing with my life? I don't think that's the answer. God's not calling us to be Gnostic and kind of to remove ourselves from the world that he's given us. But he's calling us to, to look at what he uh, is, has promised for us and rightly order those things in our hearts. And so, you know, as we go to have lunch a bit later or dinner, whatever your big meal of the day is, why don't you consider um, or discuss with those around you, what would your life look like if you had to live like this? What would you worry about less? What would you not fret about so much if you had more of this eternal perspective? What would you care more about? What would you say, actually, that's, that's something I should give more attention to and more time to and more focus to? Um, what would you give less time and attention to? Our culture you know, says that this is all there is, so make the most of it. The gospel and the good news of Jesus says this is just the beginning. The best is yet to come. And so as Christ follows, what does faith look like as, uh, in response to this passage and these truths? How do we take just good news and how do we put it into our hearts? You know, it is hard to fathom what heaven will be like. You know, it's easy for me to think about what this house is going to be like because I've been there. I know what a house is. I know what a garage is. I know what a garden is. I don't know what heaven is, I, you know. Um, and so we struggle to to kind of picture it and the whole concept of eternity is is hard to to think of but you know as christ followers we call to live by faith to say god i don't i don't know all the details but i know that your design is good faith is fixing our eyes on jesus and the resurrection he secured for us it's remembering that you know we could not do it ourselves we could not secure that for ourselves uh, we need Christ and we needed Christ to secure it for us. And then, you know, faith is to say, my hope is not fixed in this life. My hope is not fixed on the economy, uh, whether it's going up or whether it's going down. Um, my hope is not in some political party winning or some political party losing. Uh, it's, it's our hope is set on something that cannot be stolen from us. We don't know the, the details of heaven, but we know the person of Jesus and we know that he is good. And we know that we can trust him with our future. And so uh, as we, as we take this time now to, to respond, um, uh, I think we've got three people who have uh, been uh, asked to pray for us. I'm just going to see who they are. Sorry. Um, and we're going to, we're going to respond with some prayer and then we are going to respond by singing and listening to in Christ alone. And just the words of in Christ alone, I think are so appropriate. He is our hope. He is our rock um, who we can look to. Um, so Anton and Tarina, Anton, if you wouldn't mind kicking us off uh, with prayer and then Tarina, you can follow and then we will uh, listen to the song. Awesome. Thank you, guys. <laughs> 